Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you wanna mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you wanna jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. All right, yeah. so here we are, 0 7. No, not a score. That is a record of our favorite NFL franchise. My name is Matt Minnick. This is Bengals Chalk Talk here on Orange and Black Insider. Not a lot good going on right now. Uh, 0-7, not much to to feel excited about. Injuries mounting uh, as they seem to every single year, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, when they were healthy, they weren't they weren't winning it either. So, um, definitely some some disappointing things, and uh, we'll briefly touch on last week's game. Uh, but what do we do here? We, you know, we, we we break down film. We get cranking on next week. Um, you know, we, we take the Fido approach. You know, forget it, drive on. And, um, it's not actually forget it, but you can figure that out for yourself. Like to keep, uh, like to keep my rating here, uh, but you know, you got to move on. You got to make a plan to win, and uh, you know, that's uh, that's how I look at things. Uh, so that's that's what we're gonna we're gonna do is is move on and look at it. But first, let's take a look back at something that stood out to me as just being absolutely ugly uh, in last week's game against the Jaguars, and and this is early in the game, so the Jags got the ball right away and. They drove the ball down the field. Um, now, I've talked about this before. So, and don't get me wrong. The Bengals' defense isn't good, all right? The, the, they've got some problems, uh, I think, both schematically and personnel-wise. Um, they've got issues. However, um, this is a team that – this is a defense that really knows how to compete, you know, and, and they can they can fight and, and they step up in situations. Um, they keep this team in games. Um, and if this offense was was doing a little bit more for them, um, we could be in, in a different position here, uh, which is, you know, you hire a young offensive coach, you think you're going to get something out of the offense, and that's neither here nor there. We'll uh, talk about we'll talk about uh, some of that next week, a little foreshadowing as we, uh, in the bye week, uh, start talking about quarterbacks. But right now we're going to talk about, and uh, Jaguars get the ball, drive down the field, they get down to the one-yard line. And they got absolutely stuffed. All right. So the Bengals defense, you know, the Bengals defense really uh, clamped down on them. They did a, did a good job with this that, you know, they, uh, after giving up a, a drive that went down the field, um, you know, they got to fourth and one. And this is a defense that is bad at stopping the run. Uh, and Leonard Fournette is a good running back, uh, you know, especially in a short yard situation. Um, he's a guy that can make some plays, as we talked about last week. So uh, fourth and one, and uh, they give the ball to Leonard Fournette, and the Bengals stuffed it. Uh, you know, to their credit, they did a great job. Uh, and you know, this—I mean, honestly—a goal line stand is one of the one of the most exciting, one of the more impressive things uh, in football when you can shut down a team like that. Uh, just be really physical with them. So Bengals get the ball back now. First and ten, one yard line. Uh, Dalton sneaks, pretty standard thing to do down there. They get to second and six, and uh, you know Dalton throws a short pass, uh, not quite for a first down. That puts them in third and one uh, on the ten yard line. 
trying to keep this drive alive, you know, trying to really take some of that momentum that they stole with that goal line stop uh, here on the first drive and, and do something with it. Uh, and they come out and they run the ball with Mixon. Now, let's take a look at that play. Uh, they came out, they motioned into a bunch formation, and they tossed it. Now, I get that people don't like the play call. I don't love it myself. But, you know, like it, it can work sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm not the type to say, well, you never want to do this in that situation. You know, I, I, I do think that there can be reasons, you know, especially if you're looking at, at leverage of things, uh, that something like that can be successful. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it was a short yardage situation. Um, you know, the, 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 the Jakes uh, came out in the defense where, you know, they did have a number of guys in the box, um, but to be able to, you know, for mixing to run straight in the the a gap, get the uh, uh, get one yard before the linebacker got there, you know that seems a lot more possible than than working the toss play uh, to the edge, or even Dalton taking it again. Um, you know how easy it would be for Dalton uh, when they have an a gap wide open uh, for Dalton just to pick up a single yard. They already ran one sneak earlier, but they're not taking it away here. Uh, you know, smartly the Jaguars weren't taking it away in this situation. So, yeah, I mean, doesn't make you know, don't love the play call. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, but you know, also the the design and the execution are really something that that I question as well. So um, it was uh, you know, under center, uh, they got one receiver split wide to the right, uh, and then they motion uh, CJ Uzama over to get into a bunch um, with Dalton under center and mixing behind him. Uh, so Uzama is the number three receiver in the bunch. So the tightest receiver in the bunch um, on the line of scrimmage, the number two receiver is Tyler Boyd. And then outside of him off the ball is Alex Erickson uh, as the number one receiver. So you think about it. Now you're trying to hit the edge. Okay. So you're trying to get, hit the edge. Who are the most important players to block? Obviously you've got the corner out there. He's not really a run first player, but he's the farthest, wise guy out there. He's got to be accounted for. He's got to be blocked. Uh, you've got a defensive end standing up uh, inside of the bunch. You've got a really a nickel guy um, or uh, possibly safety, but you've got a defensive back anyway, an invert player uh, down there uh, who is on that edge as well. Uh, you've got a linebacker who's cheated pretty far over to that side. Really, both linebackers you've got to account for. Um, now, the only other player left on that side of the formation is the nose tackle. Um, but you're really, you know, like on a toss play, you're, you're definitely not expecting that guy to make the play. Uh, so how are they going to account for the, these guys? What are they going to do? So, you know, first things first, starting with the corner. Uh, what they do with the corner, they've got Uzama takes a wide path out and gets a body on him. All right. Now, he's kind of pushing him. The guy does work up field. Uh, you know, this is a block that could be effective, uh, might be enough, uh, but certainly not a very good block there for, for uh, Uzama. Uh, the number one receiver, Erickson, blocks down on that invert player. All right, that rock down, give it to back like I was talking about. All right, and he cracks down on him from a short distance. And look, look at this, look at his knees going up in the air. I mean, he's he's one of their smaller receivers. I mean, this is a corner, so it should be a fine matchup physically. But man, he is just on skates, getting pushed back, and you know, I mean, he ends up getting knocked over somebody too. But man, like he, he's just getting pushed around out there, uh, not looking pretty 
there for Alex Erickson. Uh, and then the number two receiver blocks down on the defensive end, cracks on the defensive end. That's Tyler Boyd. Again, doesn't do a very good job. He actually like kind of sets for it. Um, like, you know, it's not a running crack block. You can't really do stuff like that anymore. But it's it's still a crack block. And he kind of sets almost like he's pass setting. Um, and this is the exact opposite. I mean, you got to hit this guy right in the side. And you got to get him down. You can't allow penetration. And he gives a major penetration, all right, uh, and really gets in the way of John Jerry, who's pulling around to the edge. So, you know, bad job there, too. That needed to be a better block. Like I said, he's setting for it. Just, just step right at him. Step right at him. Hit him. Throw off his momentum. Don't let him take a step upfield. Um, and they're messing that up. Um, now, on the offensive line, uh, as I said, John Jerry, he's pulling out around. He ends up having to uh, kind of loop and go deep uh, as he comes around. Jo- uh, Billy Price kind of releases like he's releasing just like, like a normal, you know, not, not pulling out, just releases up to linebacker depth, and he's heading out wide here for that outside backer. Um, now, like that should really be Jerry's guy. Uh, you know, as we say, we've already got the, the corner out, out of the screen. Um, he, he's addressed um, the, this guy, the, the invert, uh, you know, cracked on defense and cracked on. So the next guy really is the backer. Jerry's a wider player and he's pulling around. It makes a lot more sense for him to be the guy who's going to block that. Instead, price is taking that angle. Uh, you know, is that a mistake by price? Should he have been going for the inside backer? That would make more sense to me, uh, but there's no way of really knowing because uh, Jerry is so thrown off that you don't know if that's what he was going for. He's just so thrown off by the, by the penetration on the, on the front there, um, and he does end up picking that guy up. Um, so the last guy left is is that nose, all right? And, and you know, I use the term nose tackle, and it's, I'm not strictly referring to a zero technique in a three, four. Like some people use it that way. Uh, but anybody, you know, I, I can refer to a low, nose tackle as anybody who's lined up really between the guards. Uh, so this guy's actually, uh, you know, one technique uh, on Hopkins. Uh, and they're asking Hopkins to block him, which you wouldn't think would be that big of a deal uh, with it being an outside run. Uh, but, you know, guess what? Guess who's going to make the play? It's that guy. You know, things get so messed up, and they lose three yards on this play. On third and one, they have to punt out of their own end zone. I mean, so it's, it's pretty ridiculous overall. And and here's the, here's the issue, too. So we're seeing this awful, awful execution uh, all around here. Um, but I also think what these three players are doing doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, as I kind of talked about before, you know, the players who need to be accounted for here are the two linebackers, right? The two linebackers and that defensive tackle. Um, you know, if you've got John Jerry uh, pulling around, he should be pulling out and, and pl- blocking the widest guy. Um, I don't understand why Billy Price is working up to a backer. To me, it's a, you know, um, you know, you want him blocking down and just pull your center around, pull Hopkins around. You know, he used to be a guard. He can do that. Um, this isn't a shotgun snap or anything. You might think it's a little easier uh, from under center, actually, to be able to kind of do that. Corbett gets out of there. You know, you, you're fine. Ball security is much of an issue. So it's a pin and pull scenario where Price should block down on that guy. They'll take care of him, and there's no way that guy's making the tackle then. 
if they do it this way. And then um, uh, they could take Hopkins and loop him around, pull him around up to that backer. That's going to be a much better play. That play makes a lot more sense. Um, you know, the angles are better. It's more sound. Um, you know, you still have we've had poor execution. The receivers were really screwing screwing things up uh, on the edges we talked about. Uh, but that's that's a much better look if they do it that way. All right, so let's be done with that unpleasantness and move on to the uh, to the next unpleasantness. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, not the Rams they used to be. Uh, so definitely having some struggles this year. And today we're going to specifically focus on their run game. Uh, Todd Gurley has had some major ups and downs this year. Uh, first week was very good. Second week was pretty good. Uh, and then he has you know, continuously dropped off. And last week, uh, you know, he was he was well under two yard, or well under three yards per carry against the Atlanta Falcons. You know, not not a team you really think of that's going to shut down Ty Gurley by any stretch. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, some of the problems uh, they've had, and also the successes they had. Take a look at some some uh, plays from that game, uh, and you know, talk about you know these things the Bengals can do. Because uh, at the end of the day, you know, something's going to give here. The Rams have struggled running the ball. The Bengals have really struggled running the ball. Uh, it's another story. But, um, but the, you know, the Bengals have been bad as a rush defense. They have not been able to stop the run very well. Uh, so how can they stop Ty Gurley? What can they do? Uh, so on uh, actually their, their first play of the game uh, against the Falcons, uh, the Rams uh, motioned. Uh, they were in, uh, you know, they had, they had two receivers tight uh, and w- one guy kind of like, like a tight slot with a receiver spread out on the other side. Uh, they motion around, ended up getting into basically a bunch look. So they motion the the, uh, the tight, a really tight end who was uh, in the H-back position over. And then they actually motioned the wider receiver inside of that guy. So they kind of changed the way they aligned in their bunch. And why are they doing that? They're doing that to set up blocking angles to for the backside, uh, really, of the zone. Uh, so they are running the zone play. like The, the Bengals have seen quite a bit of this year where uh, the handoff actually comes on the side opposite uh, of the zone blocking. And, you know, the big thing here, and, and this happens a few times in this game, is they don't get to the Mike backer. So, uh, you know, they've got a good solid, you know, base blocks from uh, their left tackle, their left guard, uh, you know, some good blocking from the tight ends and, uh, excuse me, tight end and receivers uh, on the backside picking things up. Uh, but really it's, it's that Mike running through on them. And the mic runs through on them because, um, you know, the combo bot block and Austin Blythe, the right guard, he's really just gearing down towards uh, towards the nose tackle who's in a one, all right? This is an under front, the nose tackle's in a one technique, all right? And he didn't even see that Mike really run by him. He kind of, like, turns all the way around and almost tries to chase him. Mike runs right by him, though. So he gets way too committed to that. The, the nose steps across the center's face right away. The second that happens, the guard on the combo block should be working up to the next level. Uh, he doesn't. He gets by. Uh, you know, Deion Jones gets into the backfield, and that is a tackle for a loss of one on the play. Uh, now, another thing that you can do, and the, and the uh, Falcons did this at one point later on, uh, and the Bengals can do is in running situations, send that mic. You just send him. Uh, you know, you obviously got to work out the coverage behind it and everything, uh, but blitz that guy. 
he can, you know, he can run through, uh, and that's gonna that's gonna screw them up. That's gonna cause them a lot of problems if you send that guy on through uh, and get him through fast where he's unblocked, which has been, you know, obviously a big issue for the Bengals. Uh, has been having, you know, their backers get there on time. Just send them. Just you know, that's the way the coach can make it happen. The guys aren't making the reads. All right, well, you make the reads for him. Tell them to go. All right. So later on that same drive, uh, this is a formation that you see a lot out of the Rams. They came out and they were—I would call it wing twins. All right. When I say wing, I mean there's a tight end and an H back on the same side, and twins is obviously two receivers. All right. These twins happen to be uh, a little on the tighter side. Uh, so, hey, that's a heavy run formation. It's something the Bengals have had trouble, and you've, you've seen me talk about how the Bengals have had trouble uh, aligning to that formation uh, and really accounting for all the gaps. Uh, the Falcons match up, you know, it's an eight-man box that they get into against it, uh, which is good. And, uh, you know, just to kind of take a look at, at what happened there, wing twins, jet motion. We just talked about the Mike Backer. You know, they got to block the Mike Backer. They didn't block the Mike Backer before. And, uh, you know, guess what? That jet motion, you know, that affects the backers. It takes the backers out of it a little bit. So when that motion comes, it really helps to set up that block. And there's two really inside backers here. And with that jet motion, those guys get flowing. And left tackle Andrew Whitworth. Remember him? Yeah. We all felt much better when he was around. And uh, the center, Brian Allen, they're able to get up to these linebackers. So they got that thing all blocked up. All right. Uh, and then they, they, uh, everybody's, you know, going uh, zone stepping to the right, except the tight end, the wing or H back, uh, Gerald Everett, who uh, comes screaming across, right? I call that a swipe play where he swipes across the backfield and blocks out on the defensive end. All right, so common, you know, common way to run the inside zone. Now, what don't they have blocked here is that cutback player, okay? That that extra guy in the box, uh, you know, really becomes an extra guy because of the motion. So the motion helping them out with the linebackers, uh, but that inverted player who's over the receiver, he shuffles into the box. He becomes that cutback player, and they've got nobody to block him. And you know he he re- really what forces Gurley uh, to take that take that inside and kind of run into uh, into his offensive line's back, run into the run into the guard's back, uh, and it ends up being a one yard gain in the play. So have a cutback player. You know <laughs> the cutback has been something that uh, you know the Bengals have struggled with, and you know their alignments being able to have that that uh, extra guy, that guy folding into the box. Um, you know, and overall, like defensive backs making tackles was a struggle early in the year. Then they've gotten a little bit better with, uh, but you know, folding that guy into the box—that's something that the Bengals uh, can do. You know, to have that cutback player to take this sort of thing away. All right. So even though it was a bad day overall uh, for Gurley and for the run game, um, you know, it wasn't on every single play. And you know, this is this is really an example of that. Uh, so. Here it's the it's the same thing formationally. You know the receiver starts uh, on that wing side uh, and motions over, all right, and really gets into the the twins wing look. Uh, but then they then they uh, send that jet motion again. So all right, so they're going to send that jet motion again. Now this time they've only got one backer in the box, all right. So you know even including this guy. And before I was calling it eight man box, and I was including the guy who comes in late. Um, 
after the jet motion, you know, it's going to end up being a seven-man box here. And that's going to change the play, and that's going to change the assignments on the play a little bit. So really it's the same thing that, you know, they're, they're zone blocking, they're bringing Gerald Everett around, all right? Uh, the jet motion makes that backer flow, so we're taking care of the mic, right? What we talked about, the, you know, in the first play was they, they had problems with the mic, taking care of that mic with that, with that jet motion. Now... Because there's not a second player in the block, uh, excuse me, in the box, the second linebacker in the box, Witt doesn't have to release up. All right, before uh, the the center was going to the mic, Witt was going to the the other uh, inside backer. Now he doesn't have to, so he blocks back on the defensive end. So Gerald Everett, as he swipes across, he's able to work up and block that cutback player. Now, not a great block um, by Everett by by any means. Um, but you know, he is able to make that block. It's getting a body on it. And you know, that guy's not just showing in the gap and forcing the tight cutback like he did earlier in the game. So here in the third quarter, you know, with this, uh, you know, formational, uh, this alignment by the defense, um, that allows them to get another body in there to block that extra guy that they weren't blocking before. And guess what? Now it's again eight, you know, so, so that's the difference in it. You know, a block that cutback player, uh, takes a, a bad play, a one yard gain, uh, from earlier and uh, turns it into a gain of eight on the play. So that's the importance of the cutback player. The Bengals have to make sure they have a cutback player. That guy knows what he's doing and he can shift and get into the box with these jet motions. You know, that creates an opportunity to do that when you're not in man, when you're in man, obviously that guy's running uh, with the jet motion. Uh, but when they are in any type of zone, this sort of thing happens, that should be an alert. That should be, you know, a, you know, a light going off, uh, in the head of of that defensive back, uh, saying, "Hey, this could be that." You know, hey, the motion's going away. It could be a run. I'm going to be the cutback player on this. So um, definitely something that they need to be thinking of uh, and and aware of. Having that cutback player uh, is going to be a big part of trying to stop this running game. All right. So I talked a little now about some things that the Bengals can do. Some defensive things that gave the Rams some troubles. Uh, but I really think Gurley's hurting himself too. You know, he's made some suspect reads. Um, you know, the, you know, things happen fast, you know, so sometimes it's just kind of the speed at which, you know, things come about uh, can make things difficult. But, uh, you know, he's definitely had some troubles. Uh, so we're going to look at a play in the, the first half uh, where uh, they're in a bunch and they're running a zone play opposite uh, of the bunch. So the uh, left guard is able to get up to the, to the linebacker. They're trying to run, you know, run that zone play. And, you know, really here, Gurley's looking at the blocks on the defensive line. You know, and that's, and that's, that's how you read zone. You read, uh, you know, inside out on those, on those blocks on the defensive line. And if you look at uh, the first block, right? Left guard's out of there. He reaches up. All right. Why is he out of there? He's out because the center, Brian Allen, has done a great job, really, uh, reaching and getting a reach block on the two technique. So he does an excellent job with that. That's a really good block. All right. Now, Whitworth struggles a little bit. All right. So that's the next block. That's the block outside. He, you know, he kind of bases the guy up right away. Uh, and it's uh, Adrian Claiborne. You know, it doesn't really get any movement. And then, you know, from the initial look, Gurley, Gurley's seeing 
Witt's butt in the hole, right? So with where Whitworth was initially on the block, he's thinking, I got to go inside of Whitworth. And with where Brian Allen is out of the block, he's thinking, I got to go outside of Brian Allen. So there's only one option, right? That's where he's taking that thing. Uh, but then this happens, you know, Witt, Witt loses. Uh, Witt loses on the block. Claiborne gets to the inside. Like, and, you know, he kind of tries to bang it up there once that, once that happens. Uh, but, you know, so that's a, that's a rough block. Um, you know, probably, uh, you know, like, like, like I look at the read a little bit and like I said, I understand that, uh, the initial read told him to go inside, you know, that's what happened. And then the defender makes a good play there. Uh, so, you know, Witt's block really hurts him on that. So later in the game, uh, we've got another example here and, and this is really, you know, Gurley being indecisive and, and Gurley in, in my estimation, just making a bad read in the long run. Uh, so it is that wing twins look again, but this time probably to help them out with the blocking angles. They take the wing and put him inside, uh, of, of the tight end. Uh, so they shift around to get there. Now, uh, again, you know, they're, they're running, uh, they're running at the wing side and, you know, if you look at the blocks on that side of the D-line, all right, the um, the three technique here, uh, the guy just outside uh, outside shoulder of the guard, um, you know, he's he's like his knee's getting bent. He's getting rolled up on. You know, the mic backer is coming in to the inside. So, you know, that, that combo block uh, is, you know, really successful there. So, you know, I definitely want to go outside of that. They've opened up that hole. Now they've got, you know, that, that wing look there, and it's really – you know, a tight end and a receiver with uh, with Higby and, and Josh Reynolds uh, in the backfield. So Higby is matched up. Reynolds, you know, goes off and blocks on uh, you know the uh, the outside player there, uh, the the, outs- the invert player there, right? So strong safety outside linebacker type position, and Higby's man to man blocking on the defensive end. Now the end right away tries to come inside, and again Higby Everett they're not great blockers. You know, uh, they're, they're not great blockers. So, um, you know, him against Tack McKinley, I like, I like Tack McKinley in that. So, you know, right away, yeah, you want to go outside of that, uh, that first block, that inside block. Uh, but, but, hey, as soon as you see a little bit of red in that gap, Gurley should take this thing outside. All right? There's an unblocked player out there. He's a corner. You know what? Get to the edge and, and break a tackle from a corner. A corner. You're, you're Todd Gurley. You're much bigger than Turner and him, and corners generally don't like tackling. So just do it. That, I mean, that's where that thing should go. But you know, overall, he's just really indecisive. He's just kind of hopping around in the hole a little bit. I mean, if, if he would have just banged this thing to the inside right away, I would have been fine with that too. He's getting more than the yard that he got. You know, so better reads, more decisiveness. Um, so you know, the problems that Gurley's having. You know, the, the, there's some scheme as we as we discussed before. Um, there is, you know, offensive, offensive line issues from time to time. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's on Gurley as well. All right. Well, the Bengals are heading overseas this week. Uh, so it is only fitting that we bring in uh, for this week's guest the man who I have personally declared the voice of the Bengals in the U.K., uh, Paul Harris. Paul, how are you doing today? 
I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, the voice of the Bengals in the UK, that I feel all suddenly very responsible all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, don't don't worry. Uh, as, uh, as we've talked about, nobody's listening to that anyway, right? Okay, that's, that's cool. <laughs> when you're 0-7, when you're, when you're people stop paying attention. <laughs> yeah, absolutely uh, right. But you should be listening. Uh, and uh, you know, Paul's got a great podcast, uh, the Cincinnati Podcast. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely worth checking out. Now, there's a lot of quality Bengals content out there, and I want to make this clear because uh, I, I realize people only have so much time on their hands uh, sometimes. Uh, I'm always driving around all over the place, so I have a lot of time for podcasts, but not everybody has that. So uh, download everything. It's you know that doesn't take up any of your time, and listen when you can. You know we we appreciate you listening, but you know just just keep downloading, and then it's there when you want it. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I digress. So, Paul, uh, let's let's get right to it, man. Um, the Bengals are uh, it ain't looking pretty. Uh, we're sitting at zero and seven. Um, how are you know what are, what are your thoughts uh, kind of basically on the season and, and what is your mental state of mind as a Bengals fan? <laughs> Matt, you told me that we weren't going to talk about football in this in this interview. I'm disappointed. Um, no, I mean it's it's the nightmare scenario, isn't it? I mean, I think Zach. I mean, they didn't add significantly uh, to the team in the off season. They had a, a, another horrendous stroke of luck with. With their first rounder going down, Jonah Williams, which was who was supposed to be, you know, our bookend, our kind of our leader on the offensive line, that kind of went, well, that plan went down the, as we say over here, down the Swanee pretty quickly. Um, and then all these retirements on the line, and and suddenly Zach is Zach Taylor is already fighting a losing battle when before the the season starts. Now, you know. It is the nightmare scenario because everyone hoped that. Uh, well, I, I'm pretty sure everyone demanded this. The great majority of Bengals fans, both over here and over there, demanded a new, a new direction, a new head coach, and we got that. And I think we approached the uh, the new season with some cautious optimism. Obviously, Zach had never really called plays before. He was very young. Well, he still is. Still is very young. So. But we hope this sort of fresh in- impetus would kind of reinvigorate both the franchise and also the players on the team. Because I say he inherited pretty much Marvin's team, really, when you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, one of the scenarios could... Well, various scenarios, right? Zach would come in and breathe new life and he would get more out of the players or a fresh approach would invigorate the players, right? Mm-hmm. And they would be a different team or at least a better team. Second scenario would be a, a lot of the national media in the States were saying, this guy's too inexperienced. You know, his coaching staff was, was hired too far down the line and they're inexperienced as well. And uh, they, the Bengals are going to be picking in the top three. And unfortunately, uh, that scenario has kind of unfolded, which is such a shame, I think. Such a shame. And it's kind of heartbreaking, really. Yeah, it really stinks. I mean, you know, I always tend to look at things like there are a lot of different ways to to go about things. And Zach Taylor was not the guy that I wanted. Um, and I there are some definite holes on his resume that are concerning. Um, but, you know, as a Bengals fan, 
uh, you you gotta you gotta at least have some optimism in the off season, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> have some wishful thinking. So uh, I always kind of try and see a path to success with whatever they're doing, um, and yeah, you know, really was hoping that we'd see something out of the guy, uh, whether it be just his youth being something that would uh, you know young coaches young coaches you know generally win at, you know by having some energy, having something, you know, specific that can kind of get the team going, whether it be, you know, their brain or, or just their personality. Yeah, um, you know, and he, I think he does have a good personality. I think yeah. he, he's, yeah. he comes across as a great guy. He's honest. He's passionate. Uh, he's obviously a bright guy as well. Uh, but you, you were hoping for something a bit like what's happening in Arizona at the moment. They started off poorly, but Kingsbury has got them going again now. What they're three, three and one or something like that, and they look, they look as though they're progressing. And I think that's what we wanted to see: progression uh, as kind of some sort of upward turn. And I mean, we we even worse than last year. I mean, we are nineties bad. I mean, historically bad this year. I mean, somewhere Marvin Lewis is laughing and thinking, ha-ha, you guys had to get rid of me. I said on the podcast a few a few weeks ago, uh, our podcast rather, that I could just envisage Marvin in a in a, like a string vest on his porch with a little kind of tumbler of bourbon, looking out into the, the kind of sweltering Arizona night and kind of just having a big cigar and just loving life, basically. And... Uh, well, you know, good luck to him. Um, but yeah, certainly Zach's not worked out so far, and uh, it's it's really disappointing, really disappointing. Yeah, and and I mean, there's two aspects to it. So you know, there's the the head coach, you know, who should be getting the whole team going. He's got to have an overall philosophy. He's got to be able to motivate the whole team uh, and really change the culture of the organization. Uh, mm-hmm. But then when you hire a young offensive mind. Uh, like the Bengals did, like the Cardinals did, like a lot of teams are doing nowadays, um, you expect at a very minimum that you're going to be good on offense. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and that's really the advantage to hiring an offensive coach. And, and, and Marvin Lewis actually pointed this out before he took over the defense himself, uh, but it's absolutely true. It As a head coach, you can call an offense because you're there for all of it. Mm. Uh, as, a, as a defensive head coach, it's a little bit tougher to do that because you kind of have to be around. You know, you can't be making adjustments on the sideline. You have to be around the offense because that's when important things like timeouts and you know uh, challenges and man, you know game management things come about. And you know, so so hiring him, you'd at least like to say, okay, Andy Dalton. You know, we're gonna rejuvenate his career. Um, you know, why can't he do what golf can do? You know, let's get him going on it. But, man, I mean, like, they can't even – they're rarely even trying to scheme receivers open, and they got to I – mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, 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 like, uh, I like Tate. I like the, uh, the rookie Willis who got a little time early. Um, you know, and, but these are guys that can't really create separation on their own. Like, uh, we got Alex Erickson out there catching a bunch of balls uh, just because he's the only guy that can, that can, you know, run fast enough to get open. Um, so I mean, it's, yeah, it's a weird it's, it's thing that he's not creating that scheme, yes, even even just trying to mimic McVeigh to be you know a, a you know enough of a cheap ripoff of McVeigh to to have a productive offense. Um, yeah, I, I kind of 
I do agree, and that is, I mean, I think I, you know, sort of pre-season predictions. I think I said, look, I think this has got an eight and eight uh, season written all over. But I tell you what, I think this might be a fun off with the pieces that we've got on paper, right? Mm-hmm. And this was before AJ went down. This was before Ross went down. Um, I thought, you know, even with the offensive line we have, which could be a disaster. Um, I expected us to at least be a fun offensive, a fun offense to watch. I thought we'd get some nice chunk plays. It, you know, but we we'd be suffering some growing pains, right? That's that would only be natural with a first year head coach, especially with someone who's so inexperienced as Zach. I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I agree. I'm just, I'm just totally shocked at how inept we are in the running game. Even after, you know, you look at last year, we had a terrible offensive line last year, and Joe Mixon managed I mean they managed to open some hole enough holes for him to become the AFC's leading rusher, which now when you look at what's going on now, it's it's night and day. It's kind of what the hell has happened. But I will say this, I do I do wonder how much of his playbook he's able to use just because the offensive line is so awful. Uh, you saw it yesterday, certainly in the second half. They were getting beat. I mean, I know the Jags have got some good people up front with your, you know, Josh Allen's and your, and your uh, Calais Campbell's and, you know, people of that ilk. But they were just getting swamped. And I do wonder, you know, whether they just don't have the personnel to kind of, you know, kind of carry out what Zach Taylor wants them to. I'm, yeah, not, it's, I'm, it's not, I'm not trying to shift the blame. I'm not, you know, I think Zach yeah. has to be accountable. That's the word he often uses. Uh, but I do think some of this is mitigated by by the injuries and the fact we're starting a fourth string left tackle. Um, you know, now some of the decisions. Obviously, I'm looking at Bobby Hart. I'm looking at what they. I think they've ruined Billy Price, for instance. And when I want to say they. I mean Jim Turner. Um, you know, um, some of the decisions are questionable. But really, I mean, the offensive line is so bad. I do wonder whether that is just kind of hampering the whole scheme and the whole playbook. Yeah, and, you know, you look at uh, when McVay got to the Rams, what did he do? He he went to Cincinnati and hired a left tackle. Uh, so, you know, that, that was definitely something that, you know, coming out of that system that, uh, you know, LA they saw a uh, benefit uh, to, to beefing up the offensive line uh, and really setting that up. Uh, I think a lot of the tight formations that the Rams run and that we see in this Bengals offense, mm. um, they can make things tough on you. Like it creates a lot of opportunities to get things open in the pass. It can create some some good angles in the run game as well yeah. uh, for blocks. But the the problem that you have is um, as the offense constricts, the defense constricts, and if the defense is constricted and you're trying to pass the ball, they can blitz anybody they want right. uh, you know right. whereas like when they get out and they're in a you know a traditional trips formation or an empty formation you know defenders had to get out wide they got to be sneaking in if they're going to be blitzing so the offensive line has some type of indicator but if you don't have an offensive line uh, and you're running those tight formations and they've got nine guys essentially in the box you're you're putting yourself in a bad spot um, yeah, I'm sure the nine guys in the box isn't going to help obviously with the running game either, as he pointed out the massive decline despite essentially the same personnel. Um, yeah. You know, really, 
I mean, other than boiling, you know, it's not really any worse, I wouldn't think. Um, but yeah, definitely disappointing. Uh, the oil land, a great example. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of players on defense, you can say the same about how players are regressing. You know, Andy Dalton's the truest example. Andy Dalton wasn't bad last year. Um, but, you know, players, uh, this staff is getting less out of the majority of their players. I think Sam Hubbard, Andrew Billings, um, and, you know, probably Eifert and John Ross, I guess, you know, would be, I'm sorry, not Eifert, uh, uh, Boyd and John Ross would be exceptions. You know, uh, some of those guys are getting a little bit more out of actually Auden Tate, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the, most of these guys look worse in this, the scheme that they're running than what they were running a year ago. Yeah, I agree. I can't disagree with that at all, really. You just hope that they will in time begin to, maybe it's just a growing pants thing, maybe, or maybe, you know, Zach Taylor is trying to hit square pegs into round holes. He's determined to kind of, as you say, this tight bunch formation, this pretty much a high percentage of 11 personnel. There's no usage of tight ends despite signing these tight ends for and drafting a tight end. You could go through it, Matt, honestly. It's kind of a yeah. bit a bit of everything. I mean, you, you know, on, on that note, same thing with Geo. They just re-up Geo when they barely use him. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. I mean, who, by the way, there's a guy who's fast and can create separation, and we yeah. have seen very little of him lined up at receiver uh, yeah. despite the mounting injuries at that position. Um, and yet, and yet, we still see flashes from people, even on defense. I mean, Vigil yesterday was was okay. You know, made some good tackles yesterday, and um, you know, Preston Brown kind of stopped that fourth and one on the goal line. You know, we're seeing bits from Josh Tupu. We're seeing bits from, we are seeing bits from Sam Hubbard, but not consistently. Yeah, I, yeah, Tupu's a great example too. I mean, that, that is another guy who's, who who has stepped up this year. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So there are some there are some guys, but it's just you know on a whole, it's it's you know it, it seems like it's the same guys, but they're worse. Um, you know, yeah, on, I think that's, on, that's really disheartening to me. That's you you as I say, you wanted to at least see a bit of progression. You wanted to see Zach and his his, his coaching staff kind of bring some new stuff out of players. Well, they certainly have, but a, a lot of players... <laughs> and you look at J- Jesse Bates, for instance, he's, he's playing better these past two weeks, but he started off the season horribly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bates, uh, you know, Jackson hasn't played very well this year either. You know, some 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 key guys, big-time guys. Um, Lawson, of course, is injured again, uh, but, you know, we'd like to see him take a step forward. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, it has been very uh, very difficult, very disheartening. Um, Absolutely. You know, on that note, I think the biggest regression has to be Andy Dalton. Um, yeah. Where where do you stand on uh, on Dalton and the future of the uh, the quarterback position? Um, yeah, I, I thought Andy Dalton was symptomatic and emblematic of the Marvin Lewis years. Actually, I thought he was a you know, I've never been a huge fan of Dalton, but I admire him in lots of different ways. You know, uh, I always thought that um, he was always good, but not great, which is something that you can probably level at Marvin as well as a head coach. Um, and I think he was inconsistent. You know, sometimes you'd have one, it, sometimes in one series, you know, one down would be a perfect pass. 
the next would be some sort of head scratching throwing into triple coverage right um i he started off fantastically well last year as good as i seen him throw the ball actually he had real zip on his passes in those first three four games last season and then he regressed and then obviously the injuries took hold and and that was it uh this year i don't see the ball coming out very well at all whether he's been spooked by the poor player of the offensive line and that's kind of screwed with his head and and kind of mental state i wouldn't blame him to be honest with you but just the way the ball was coming out, I mean, again, yesterday was a great example. Uh, he underthrew Tyler Boyd uh, when he was wide open, had like two, three steps on AJ Boye. Uh, he he kind of a few love, beautiful passes, one to Ericsson that, that Ericsson really, well, he would have taken it to the house, I would have thought. Um, and then some real head-scratching moments, Some a lot of balls either behind his targets or way in front and thankfully you've got Auden Tate to make Dalton look you know at least competent um yeah I don't know I think he has regressed a lot this year I think frustration is etched all over his face I don't blame him 100% because I think he is playing behind a line that he just doesn't trust um I do think this is the last year for Andy Dalton in Cincinnati though I do I do think that. But then again, saying that, I would not be surprised if he's retained. Now, I don't know about extended, but retained for his final year. I wouldn't be surprised because that's just the way the Bengals work, right? They're not, <laughs> as, they're not as ruthless or as cutthroat as they really should be. And they're loyal. And, and loyalty is fantastic. But they're loyal almost to a fault, you know. Uh, and uh, I do think it's time to move on. I think Taylor admires him, but I think... I just think Taylor will will want to get his own guys in at the end of this year. I really do. Now, whether that's, you know, using a top three uh, pick on a quarterback, which I think most people expect and actually want, um, and keeping Dalton on just to kind of, you know, mentor him, which would be a very Bengals thing to do, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I do. I feel sorry for Dalton. And it's always weird, isn't it, in sports when you've got a guy... You know, there's a lot of Dalton fans here in the UK. You know, there are a lot. Um, and I, it's always weird in sports when you've got a, a guy who's played for the same team eight, nine, ten years. Uh, it, but sport is cyclical. And, you know, there will be another superstar quarterback along in a few few months' time, one would imagine. Um, so... Yeah, I think I think the the organisation needs a shot in the arm. I think the team needs a shot in the arm, and I think you know I, I do think being a quarterback and the the figurehead of the team, I think this might be it for Andy Dalton. Yeah, um, I, I would tend to agree with you there, and then he's a guy that I I've I've always been a supporter of. I mean, I do think you can win with them, and I think they never did a very good job. Yeah, of, I must say like, this, man. Uh, I I do I do think at his best, I think you can win with him. My yeah. problem with Andy Dalton is is consistency. Oh, absolutely, and, and that's, um, that's my you know, biggest problem with Andy. It's probably rough for you, uh, you know, in the in the UK uh, to watch, uh, you know, 
Monday Night Football, which would be, even if you're watching it live, uh, Tuesday morning football for you. Yeah, uh, right. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, when he gets into those primetime games, you know, and and, uh, and really national TV on any level, playoffs, primetime, even just a 4 o'clock uh, Eastern game, uh, it's it's incredible how he just – he just seems to be terrible in all those games. Um, and, you know, that's – now we're seeing it even worse this year, despite the fact that uh, they're not going to be on national television all year. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, – I mean, it's it's rough. Um, and, and honestly, you know, overall, uh, the way things are going, um, I mean, there's going to be a lot of changes, and, and I'm, you know, wondering if um, – like you said, this this organization can be loyal and they can be stubborn. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if the new direction is going to take a, a sharp turn in, in you know terms of the staff as well. Um, you know, in in that gets us into a, kind of the bigger conversation, I guess, uh, about the idea of of tanking. Uh, you know, and at this point, do you want the Bengals to win a game? Um, you know, are you just thinking about the future? Are you just thinking about that draft pick? I think it's interesting, um, you know, because I, I think I, I could see that there could be a cultural difference, uh, you know, with this sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, what is what is your take on uh, on that, the idea of tanking for the pick? It's an interesting one, and I do think it, it differs, differs uh, from person to person, actually. It's such a divisive issue, actually. <laughs> Um, even over here, you know, people do want us to tank. Uh, people do want us to look for the future straight away. Um, I'm kind of, I'm not into tanking personally. Um, I know a lot of, lot of listeners and readers of Cincy Jungle are, and they'll probably be throwing their laptops or phones or whatever they're listening to, uh, <laughs> this out of the window and these stupid limeys and Brits, they don't know what they're talking about. I hate tanking. I hate the very concept of it. I understand that there's a desperate need for change, and I want it too. Uh, I understand that uh, this thing needs to be blown up. I totally understand that there's nothing left to play for in terms of playoff aspirations or even, you know, let's face it, a winning season. I just think tanking is an insult to the fans who pay to go and see them. And an insult to people like me who pay, you know, $150 a year to watch on Game Pass. Uh, I also think, um, I think tanking is really dangerous in terms of motivation and also um, health, actually, of players, you know. Um, I, I'm just not into it. I want my, and there's plenty of people over here who think the same as me. But then again, there's plenty of, of fans over here that will argue, well, you know, if we don't get a top one, two, three quarterback, uh, sorry, a pick in the next year's draft, there's no way we're going to get that kind of linchpin to build from, you know. So I'd, I'd get the argument. I just hate the very concept of tanking. I don't want to see any team that I support go out and uh, lose on purpose, really. Um, I still think that we're going to be picking in the top three, regardless of whether we tank or not. Uh, the talent on this team is just not there. Um, now, I actually think if we win like two, three, four games, you know, that's a little bit of momentum and a little bit of confidence. And I think at this point, we desperately need it as a team and as a fan base and as a as a club, you know. 
um, we're still going to pick top five, top six if we finish, mm. say, four and 12. So, uh, you know, there's at least going to be three quarterbacks in that top five, I would say. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm against it, but I understand the argument for it. Um, I'm just, I'm personally... And also, I, th- I think tanking isn't necessarily a concept from players. It's a concept from fans, more or less. You know, it's almost like uh, the fans kind of talk about this concept more than mm. front offices and certainly players do. You know, players play for professional pride, whether it's they're sure. playing $5 or five, you know, $50,000, $500,000 per game. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. uh, they've got professional pride. Um, and that's what a lot of fans feed off, that pride and that passion. Even though they're terrible, you know, we want to see them battle. We want to see them play with passion, you know, and that's that's kind of half the battle with fans, I think. However, this team does need, you know, pretty major reconstructive surgery, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but I do think we'll be uh, we'll be picking top five, whether it's whether we tank and I'm doing the whole inverted commas sign there or not. Yeah, and, and, and I'm 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 with you on that. Uh, I'm not a fan of it, uh, you know, for various reasons. Um, and I, I think number one is uh, Andrew Luck isn't in this draft. And, uh, you know, I think Andrew Luck he had he had injuries that shortened his career, but Andrew Luck was probably the last clear number one quarterback. And and actually, let me take a step back for that. Carson Palmer is not in this draft because Carson Palmer, that dude, was a number one overall pick. Um, and and if the Bengals would have kept their line healthy. You know, he, he could have been the dude for a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I digress on that. Uh, so the, my thing is the NFL isn't very good at, at evaluating talent. You know, they're not as good as they have you believe. And, you know, right. just look a few years ago when, um, you know, myself and a lot of other people on the Internet were saying, wow, Mahomes and Watson are really good. And the yeah. NFL was in love with Mitch Trubisky. Mm. Um, you know, Trubisky goes number two, uh, you know, um, Mahomes goes 10 and I think Watson was 12. Um, you know, so yeah. I think you're right. The draft is pretty much a crapshoot really. Um, but you're obviously the, the higher a pick is the more likely that player is to do the business, right? Oh, um, oh absolutely. But you know, it, but yeah, I mean, what is, what does it mean? How does that work out? I think, uh, um, you know, at the beginning it was tank for Tua and I think mm. a lot of people, there were with a couple people whispering about Justin Herbert, um, and I think now a lot of people are all of a sudden on Joe, Joe Burrow, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that guy was just an Ohio State castoff uh, a few months ago. Uh, here's, a, so, here's, a, here's a question that someone asked us on the podcast uh, last week. I think what would happen if um, we were say picking at number three, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, some team in ca- came in and wanted us to trade. Uh, trade spots and uh, would you you know bearing in mind that you get extra picks and all this and all that would you trade down because we have greater needs on this team than quarterback because we have an average quarterback I don't think there's any you know argument against that a passable quarterback um it's not amazing he's certainly not amazing this year but you know if we did get an extra couple of offensive linemen and remold the offensive line maybe got another, you know, I think we need a bit of pass rush help as well, as well as linebacking help. 
Um, you know, what happens if you get a bunch of picks from trading down at that top three spot? Um, and again, you can make arguments for for both for both sides on that one. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's tough because you you got to do something about the quarterbacks. But to me, with the importance of quarterback in the NFL, mm. if you can identify your guy, like, and and, and you know, we say it's a crapshoot, but. Like you got to be better than that as an organization. You know, we you know we can say it's a crapshoot, but yeah. you know the Bears had, should have been better at that than they were. Um, you know, the Chiefs did a great job. The Chiefs didn't have that pick. The Texans didn't have that high of a pick. They saw the guy. They knew it was a game. They knew those guys were game changers, yeah. and they went up and got them. Um, so to me, I don't care what the offer is. If you are looking at uh, to a via and you're like, that's the guy. He is yeah. our guy. Then, you know, you should give up whatever you have to to get him, or and you sh- in you know, and you shouldn't uh, give him up for anything. Yeah, you should. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think I think this this team and I think this coach actually needs a, the, his guy to work with, uh, yeah. and and obviously with the fan base. I think if they did trade down, I, I think they'd be rioting in the streets. Of oh, sort of... they'd, they'd, they'd be they'd be crazy. Now, here's here's one thing, one. right? And, and I'm going to throw this out there. This this is kind of a, a I I saw this isn't my original idea. I've seen somebody else throw something out there. But let's say you know the Steelers lose a bunch of games, yeah. Um, and you know the the Dolphins are sitting there with two top ten picks, but they beat the Bengals, so they don't have the number one, right? So now the Dolphins, they find their quarterback and they and they're certain about it. Maybe the Bengals aren't so aren't so sure. Maybe they don't love the guys in there. Now, it de- it really depends on your evaluation of Josh Rosen. But if you can get Josh Rosen, pick up those two high picks, take an offense to tackle and and uh, chase Young, the edge edge that rusher, would certainly be now, an option. Now that's a conversation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. That, now uh, that's a game changer if if Josh Rosen, if you know, if you're on the pro side of Josh Rosen. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, uh, objectively, uh, taking the fan hat off for a minute, uh, getting traded to the Bengals for his third year is like the only way Josh Rosen's career could get worse. But, uh, uh, but you know, like like something crazy like that, maybe. I guess what I'm trying to get at is the quarterback has to be addressed as part of it, I think. Yeah, I think so. But, but, if, also don't, but I, if there's a way to accrue extra picks and to do some, just make some aggressive moves, that the kind of aggressive moves uh, that this organization is not known for, because there are a lot of holes to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to, I mean, we need to get better on the offensive line to give a new quarterback any chance whatsoever. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, there might be some movement, you know, there might be some movement in this trade, you know, coming up this week in the, before the trade deadline. I mm-hmm. personally doubt it very much. I just don't think they're tuned in. Maybe they are. Maybe with Zach on board, maybe Zach's banging that door of Duke Tobin and, and say, come on, we need to do th- something. If not for now, next year. Uh, I hope he is. I do hope he is. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you, you know, there's something you have to look at with uh, when you have guys going into free agency. I mean, clearly the season's over. Um, you know, if they win, 
if they win nine straight games, they could sneak into the playoffs, but that's it's literally what it's going to take. <laughs> so it's not um, I, it's I, not I don't see any indication that can happen. But, um, you know, a popular one is Andy Dalton. If if you're not intent on bringing – I'm sorry, uh, uh, A.J. Green. Yeah. Uh, if you're not intent on bringing Green back, you know, his contract situation, get something. You know, it's the same uh, same deal with Tyler Eifert. So um, I don't, you know, I don't know what the value of those guys is, what you're getting. But, um, you know, there's certainly some potential to, to get some things back for those guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, to accumulate, accumulate some picks and, and – even if it's a, you know, even if you're getting a fourth, fifth round pick, you know, maybe that's something that you package to, to move up a little bit in, in a certain round and 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 take a guy and, and try and get a difference maker. So, um, you know, all all moving chess pieces and, and things that need to be able to evaluate. I just hope they start to move them. That's the that's the thing, Matt, isn't it? I mean, for too long we've been used to the Bengals not playing. Not playing the board too well, you know, or at least you know not making any major moves up and down. They have done a little bit in the last draft and the the draft before when they when they got Cordy Glenn. That's mm. not really worked out, but you know, <laughs> um, so you just hope they're more aggressive. Certainly more so in free agency because uh, it's going to take that. It's going to take combined trading, free agency, and draft to kind of get this thing back on the road again. I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, things need to come together. Um, so, uh, you, you know, on the, on that note, uh, just uh, being a Bengals fan uh, from the UK, uh, how how's that come about? I mean, I, I'm somebody that was uh, I, I'm I'm not from Southern Ohio. I was born in Northern Ohio, uh, right. so I, but uh, I my dad was kind of just uh, spiteful of uh, of my brother's Browns fandom, so I became a Bengals fan. Um, how, uh, how and why, uh, did you become a a supporter of this team? Well, um, would you take it back? (laughs) um, uh, No, I wouldn't actually. I wouldn't. I, you know, it's a weird thing. Um, uh, I would not at all. I'm, I'm invested in, I mean, I've been a supporter for 30 years. Um, so, I'll take you back to the mid eighties and uh, obviously mullets were in stonewashed jeans and uh, uh, Sony Walkmans. We were all walking around with those and uh, I just started my high school. Right. So I fell in and we're talking like 85, 86 here. And um, uh, I fell in with a new group of friends as you do when you start a new school, right? You make new friends and all the rest of it. Now, obviously soccer is the big sport over here. Um, but, uh, these new friends that I, uh, started to hang out with, they were really, really into the NFL because the sport, uh, the American football gridiron, whatever you want to call it, it was just starting to get really popular over here in, in a sort of cult kind of level of, of, of popular, you know. Um, the year before the Bears won the Super Bowl and uh, William the Fridge uh, Perry was all over the media, the newspapers over here completely bought into him. They loved him. Uh, one of our terrestrial channels started showing highlights packages every week and um 
so it was almost like a perfect storm. But all these new guys, all these new friends that I'd, I'd, I'd started to hang out with, <clears throat> excuse me, had, um, you know, support. You know, we're talking about the era of Montana, Marino, all those sort of guys. So those were the most popular players. So you had, uh, you know, I used to hang out with 49ers fans, Dolphins fans, you know, and uh, Raiders fans. The Raiders were always popular. Um, and, uh, I thought, I don't, I don't fancy any of these teams really. Cause obviously I was looking for a, a team to support and I started watching the, uh, the highlights package on the TV and I saw this left-handed, uh, quarterback with sort of a shock of blonde hair underneath this helmet, which had tiger stripes on. And he was kind of flinging it all over the, the, the field. And I thought, Goodness me, this guy is great. And look, they they've got like tiger stripes on their on their jerseys and their helmets. This team looks like a cool team to support. Uh, and that was kind of it. And then a couple of years later, they got to the Super Bowl, and I kind of thought, I I've chosen wisely here. <laughs> <laughs> and then the nineteen nineties happened, and I realised I did, hadn't chosen as wisely. And um, but I think you know once once. Um, one of the around the NFL guys, um, Greg Rosenthal, um, I think said this perfectly. He said that when he started coming over here and the around the NFL guys started coming over to London to uh, to go to the to the games. And there's kind of there's other you know, there's stuff around the games that you can go to, like a big parade in on one of the main streets here in London that's put on by NFL UK and. You know, they bring players out and they've got kind of stalls and drinks and around the around the NFL guys absolutely loved it. You know, and of course, you know, loads of people listen to them. So they were kind of like superstars over here. Um, but Greg sort of said this is this reminds him of fandom about like 50 years ago in the States. It's very pure because, of course, we're like four and a half thousand miles away from in this case or in my case, Cincinnati. So it's that kind of it's that kind of long distance relationship thing where it's almost as intense, if not more, or it's certainly a different kind of intense than, than a fan being in the same state or even in the same city. And of course we're not privy to the, the kind of politics of the city. We're not privy to the stuff between Hamilton County and, and the, and the Brown family and, and, and the, and the, and PBS stadium, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, the deals that are coming up, we're not privy to, to kind of all the, all the local um, self-esteem that's not there with the Bengals. Do you know what I mean? Do you know know what I mean by that? We're not privy to the local feeling for us. It's more of a pure thing. Uh, But saying all that, I am, I'm not, you know, I'm totally invested and, I think when you pick a team, it's it's you you have to support them through thick and thin, and we've had more thin than thick. But actually, this past, apart from these past three years, we've had a pretty good, uh, pretty good run of things. Getting to the playoffs, you know, five years in a row is not to be sniffed at. And yes, I know that it's a running joke that we kept losing in the first round, but actually getting to the playoffs is I think quite an achievement uh, for five years in a row. So we didn't have it too badly. We were relevant in, 
in December and January, you know, and we were generally speaking a, a winning team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't had it too badly. Um, we're having it badly now, very badly. But yeah, so I'm 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 in it for the well. I have been in it for the long haul, and I I'll continue to do so. I think. Yeah. So uh, so would you say that uh, the '80s was kind of that that era when uh, when the NFL was becoming big? Like, are are a lot of people still Bears, 49ers, maybe Redskins, you know, type fans uh, over there? Who, who are the really popular teams? It's a good question because, like, if you go to if you do ever make it over here to a London game, Matt, it's it, it's an interesting experience because. Obviously, we hear about oh, it's designated a home team for a particular. You know, it was a, it was a Bengals home game against the uh, the Redskins three years ago. This time around, it's designated as a as a Rams game, right? A home game, right? But uh, if you go that home away thing in at Wembley or at the new Tottenham Stadium, is a total misnomer. Apart from you know, you get the cheerleaders out and you get some branding around the stadium. It's you know all that kind of stuff. But really, when you go to a game in London, what you see is fans from every every team in the NFL. It's not just the teams that are playing. It's I mean, you it, you know, it, it's funny because you uh, you notice that on TV when yeah. they show the crowd shots, there's just random jerseys. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you know, like. Whatever whatever jersey they got, it's not a team there, and it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's Just almost the, like the the crowds of a, of a like the Pro Bowl or something. Yeah, exactly right, and you know that maybe you could argue takes away from the kind of atmosphere slightly because who do these guys cheer for, right? Um, but um, I think people over here are just so thankful for to see any kind of meaningful NFL game because. Back in the 80s, we had preseason games. You know, Montana and Marino came over for preseason games, and then we had NFL Europe, which I'm surprised they didn't keep going, actually. But, um, but yeah, people are so excited, whoever they support, to come and see uh, an NFL game. I, You know, I've seen Brady play a couple of times at Wembley. I've seen, mm. you know, the, the Giants team that went on to win the Super Bowl that year with, with Eli and Brandon Jacobs at running back, you know. Um, so it kind of, and you kind of wear your shirt with pride, you know. It's kind of, it's a very not, it's, an, it's a very non-aggressive atmosphere, which is kind of weird for, for British sport sporting stadiums, especially yeah. if you go to soccer games. There's none of that. I mean, the, the American people that come over have absolutely loved it because it is a different atmosphere completely to what they're used to. It's, I say it's very non-territorial. It's, they're, ju- they're just there to watch the game and enjoy the game, you know, uh, not necessarily to support either team. Now, obviously, there'll be plenty of, of uh, Bengals fans and Rams fa- fans there on Sunday. But, um, you know, there'll be Steelers jerseys there. There'll be Browns jerseys there. There'll be, you know, our real rivals uh, jerseys there. It's it's a weird thing, but it works, I think. And, uh, um, yeah, we're looking forward to it, obviously. We, we, I mean, it's a surreal experience. Watching the NFL here is a very, or can be a very, very solitary experience because you've just got social media, which is great, um, and then if your game isn't on the satellite broadcaster that week, 
it's it's you know you've got to go to a different room, flip open your laptop, and and log into Game Pass. So it can be a solitary experience because not every town, unlike the states, has sports bars or whatever showing NFL <laughs> games. So we a lot of us tend to watch it uh, on our on our laptops, you know, which is why we first started Bengals UK, you know, and it's my mission, however utopian and ridiculous this might sound and kind of fluffy and snowflakey, I I want to connect every Bengals fan in the UK together. That's my absolute mission. Um, and it's, yeah, so far so good. We're doing all right, I think. Uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, like you, you don't you don't have a home Bengals field there, so that's uh, that's your community. That's where you come together. So that's a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. And, um, you know, I like what you said, too, about, um, you know, kind of, Going back a little bit, you talked about how how pure it is when you are, um, you know, you're you're picking a team and and you don't know, you know, that people are you know arguing about their taxes going up for a stadium or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't know about all that. It's just it's just hey, I like that team. I like watching that team. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. and it's it seems like that's kind of the same sort of thing um, with you know, how you're describing Wembley is, well, hey, there's a football game. Well, you know, that's not my favorite team, but there's not an NFL game here every week, so let's yeah, go. So <laughs> yeah. I might not ever get to see Tom. Tom Brady is in the same town as me. I hate the Patriots, but this guy's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, so why am I not going to go see him if he's in my hometown? If he's going to play, mm. if he's playing about five miles away from my house. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's a no-brainer. But while I'm there, I'm sure yeah. as hell going to represent my Bengals. Do you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. Yeah. it's a weird. It is weird. And uh, when I talk about it and ex- try and explain it, it is very weird. But it also makes some kind of weird, crazy sense. I think. Yeah, and and I can you know not. Uh, not to the level of fandom, but um, I can relate a little bit because um, my my parents had a satellite dish, uh, and and when NFL uh, Europe was pretty big, yeah, um, I remember just because because there was a football game on, and it was yeah. it was it was in the spring. There weren't NFL games, so yeah. I just started watching those games, and it was just it was just hey, great, there's more football on. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, and uh, you know, and, and I remember getting really into the Amsterdam Amsterdam Admirals, uh, you know, who have happened to over the years have uh, Kurt, Kurt Warner and uh, Adam Vinatieri and uh, future Bengal Kevin Kazemharn on on the teams. Uh, so <laughs> you know, so that, so that was some cool stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, so like it was it was more pure because it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't my 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 true fandom really. Um, I could see if if it would have gone on, you know, that I, that I could have gotten, uh, you know, pretty excited about it, especially if I was for some reason star for football here. But yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean that's very interesting because it is, uh, you know, it, it is something that I, that I always wonder about. You know, how do you how do you do that? And even, um, you know, I this is this is like my my dream idea for like a podcast mm-hmm. um, that I, I would have to have a much better budget than what I have uh, to do, but. Um, you know, it, it'd probably be great if, uh, you, like, uh, like an old pro or somebody did it. But, um, like, just traveling around the country uh, or or overseas or wherever, and like, just going to like, you know, Montana and just like, yeah, 
what sports do you follow? And what, yeah, right, just yeah. like, why, how did that come about? You know, cause yeah. you see some, you see some interesting things and some weird things that, you know, like just some, something happened at some point, you know, in, in life and, you know, like a bunch of, you know, like a random town, they're all, you know, they're all, they're all Chicago Cubs fans for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. You know, so. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think that's a, that's actually a really good idea for a podcast. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll discuss that later on. Um, <laughs> um, I'm furiously writing notes here. Uh, I'm gonna you, you gotta, you're going to be able to travel, though. You're going to have the budget well, to travel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is interesting. And I think, you know, over here, it, it's, you know, listen, it's easy to kind of, you know, have a little chuckle at those crazy British fans and everything. But um, there is, there are, we're pretty knowledgeable. Uh, we're pretty passionate. Um, and I think, you know, the ties between both sets of fans, when you, you know, the weird thing is the each team, when they come over, kind of uh, get a pub given to them and they, they kind of, festoon in the insides of the pub it would with the colors of their team so we've got the admiralty pub in just off trafalgar square london's historic trafalgar square and it was there three years ago and i tell you what it was the most insane weekend even the american people who are used to packed sports bars screaming and hollering at screens they couldn't believe it and i think us british fans get so excited when we're in the same room as other Bengals fans because we only get to discuss Bengals stuff online on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is but when you're in the same room as a bunch of other Bengals fans and not only that a whole pub full of Bengals fans um, it is the most surreal thing in the world and also you just want to talk is it's like you're on amphetamines or something like that. You just cannot stop talking. And uh, I mean, the last last time it was apps. I mean, it was bumper to bumper in that pub for kind of two nights solid. And it was weird because they bought who did they bring over? Anthony Munoz and they brought over Ken Anderson. Now I didn't know Kenny was going to be there, and I literally went to the bar and. Uh, queued for a drink and got to the bar and just turned to my left and next to me was Ken Anderson and I was like right that's that's Ken Anderson isn't it that's the guy that I've only seen on YouTube and should be in the Hall of Fame that's the NFL Hall of Fame one of the the greatest quarterbacks that's ever lived and I'm standing right next to him in London in this pub I'm not quite sure whether I'm dreaming or not. And uh, he was, he was, so I said hello naturally once I'd gathered my thoughts. And he was great. He was absolutely great. And uh, in fact, I was wearing a Boomer Esiason jersey that night. And uh, he had a go at me for (laughs) wearing a Boomer. He was like, Where's a Ken Anderson jersey? Um, So I said, Ken, if you want to give me a jersey, I will happily wear it. But uh, so that's the level of surrealism. It's just, uh, but it's it's it was so much fun, and you know you got to meet people both actually in the state from the states rather, and in this country who um, you'd only spoken to online, and it just felt it just felt like a, I didn't stop talking for the whole weekend, and then it came to Sunday, I was absolutely exhausted. My liver was kind of like screaming for kind of a rest, because uh, obviously there was quite a lot of drinking uh, that weekend. 
and um and then you kind of realize oh there's a there's there's a game to go to now as well so yeah we went to the game and you know it was a weird game but it was a fun game um so yeah it's it's an interesting experience being um being a fan in the UK and whenever whenever there's any sort of sniff of your team coming over the fans turn into kind of slavering dogs really after a bit of you know a bit of steak or something <laughs> you know what I mean they yeah. you smell it it's almost like, oh my god they're in the same town oh my god how am I going to cope you know it's just it's just this pure excitement it's it's and I'm I'm 46 and I still feel it it's very yeah. weird you know, um, you you described it as a long distance relationship. Yeah, I was thinking, um, you know, there was the, the movie Dogma. They're like sitting at the airport and they're watching people come out and they're talking about how, you know, like that that moment when you pick somebody up at the airport, you forget about everything that's bad in the relationship, and like you know, and, and it's just like this moment of joy. Um, so the Bengals are zero and seven. Um, are are Bengals fans? Uh, are, are Bengals fans going to open them with welcome arms because this is the only yeah, opportunity they're going to get and they miss them? Or? I, think, I think they will. I mean, everyone's really, really pissed off over here. And some. I'm, I'm trying to be fairly rational about it. You know, it is sports. Sports is cyclical. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had a reasonable run in kind of the postseason. Now it's time to rebuild. I do think this team will be if not blown up, but there will be major, major, major surgery conducted on it during the off season. Cause I don't think Zach will stand for, for anything less. I really don't. Um, I, I, yes, I think people are a bit more wary, a bit more, Oh God, do I really want to go and see that team? Let's do really badly at Wembley. Do I want to spend a hundred dollars on a ticket? You know, but I think uh, you know they're they're they are looking forward to kind of the whole social aspect of the weekend. And you know what? It, it, you know, let's face it: the team will probably get beaten this weekend. Let's hope it's not. Let, I mean, we're just hoping it's not a complete shellacking, um, <laughs> which it could be. But the Rams aren't great this year either. So you know, there's some hope that perhaps on a completely neutral field, the Bengals away from uh, the Boo Boys at, at PBS, they might think, right, we've got nothing to lose. Let's just throw caution to the wind. Let's just open things up a bit more. And uh, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, we're certainly yeah. The, the fans will 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 uh, welcome them with open arms, but we'll be welcoming, I think, the fans that are coming home from the states even more. Yeah, uh, yeah. It sounds like uh, you're you're aching for that camaraderie, uh, you know, to to have a place to together together. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, I do uh, really appreciate uh, you taking time to talk to me. Uh, uh, taking up enough of your time, I'm sure you're gonna you gonna uh, get back to your own podcast. Yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna record it straight after I finish with you, Matt. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of like, do I be really and uh, kind of angry or? I think a few people have requested for me to not actually talk about football at all on this episode. <laughs> um, and I think that's the case. I mean, I, when I started the podcast, I, you know, we can't compete with, you know, in terms of an analysis or whatever with the, you know, the Joe Goodbriz and uh, the Cincy Jungle one, you know, the, the athletic ones or even, you know, the, the Inquirer one. So I thought, you know, 
we don't want to copy you guys either because a lot of British fan podcasts try and copy the the American podcasts. And I just thought, listen, that's not where the way to go. We need to be typically British. We need to have a few beers. We need to almost treat it like an entertainment show, not a football analysis show. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. of course, yes, we talk about football quite a lot. But, you know, we have guests on, we have quizzes, we sing songs. Um, you know, we just, you know, muck about and have a bit of fun, really. And it, it feels more like an entertainment show than a hardcore analysis show, I think. Uh, yeah, and you've you got to be able to have, have a little bit of fun this year, you know, especially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to go mad. You're going to jump off the nearest bridge, I think, so... So it's 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 like if if it's like if Graham Norton hosted a uh, Bengals podcast. That's the aim. That is definitely the aim. Uh, I hope we we go halfway to that. I hope we're entertaining at least, and we do try and have a laugh. And uh, oh. and I think you're absolutely right. You know, we we tend to record wherever we're going to be recording from the Bengals pub this Thursday. We're going to be at the. Bengals training facility on Friday. So, you know, we're, we're going to be bashing them out there. We're going to see who we can get on. And uh, But, yeah, we're always going to have a laugh. This is, what, this is what it's all about. Sport is supposed to be fun. And I know the team isn't fun particularly. But if the team's not fun, then the community has to be fun. Do you see what I mean? So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, you uh, know, I, I find it entertaining, too, because uh, and sometimes, like, you have uh, people that, like, like, like call in, like leave messages, like, you know, yes. other fans. And I think it's interesting because sometimes somebody will call in and they'll say something yeah. and it, by no means is what they're saying wrong, Yeah. but they're just saying it in a completely different way than I would ever think to say it. Right. <laughs> you know, just, just the way they phrase it. Uh, and it's yes. interesting for me as a writer, cause it's like, Oh, maybe I should switch it up a little bit and say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, uh, but also, but, there, it's great because even though we speak the same language as well, there are various words that kind of like even, uh, you know, a lot of Americans listen to us and absolutely love it, which is very gratifying, you know, um, uh, and makes it all the worthwhile. But they kind of say, no, 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 don't 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 drop this these British kind of phrases or whatever. We love it, you know, because it just makes us laugh. And and so, the, you know, my co-host, Nathan, has the broadest Cockney accent. He sounds like Dick Van Dyke in uh, Mary Poppins, you know what I mean? Uh, but he's an actual Cockney. Um, so you've got that going on, and, you know, he's got a very... He's got a vocabulary all of his own, and I'm I'm sure like a lot of our American listeners are furiously Googling some of the words and phrases that he says. And, uh, yeah, I've, and, I've been guilty of that myself, yeah. Well, I think that's... Every, that's every there's, there's some kind of phrase, and I'm like, that's really interesting. What the does it mean? <laughs> I think I know what he means, but I'm not quite sure, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, that's, I think that half, that's half the fun, and that kind of adds to... I don't know, that adds to our unique flavour, I think. And, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, most of our British uh, listeners have to Google what Nathan says, so that's fine <laughs> as well. Um, but, yeah, we have... A, you know, it's all good fun. And if you... Asked me sort of 10 years ago whether I'd be, you know, talking to, I don't know, Carlos Dunlap on a podcast about the Bengals, I would I would be laughing in your face for about 10 minutes straight. Um, so it's it's been it's been so much fun. And um, 
and we will continue to have fun. You know, I mean, again, it's diff- it gets more difficult when the team's not winning, and obviously we're not winning at all in any way, shape, or form this season. But uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm still going to have, have have fun. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Uh, so once again, it's the uh, Cincinnati podcast. Uh, anywhere else they can they can follow you or, or yeah, see well, we, uh, um, SoundCloud hosts it, um, but we're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. So go and search for Cincinnati. Uh, we are on Twitter at Today underscore UK and Bengals UK on Facebook. Uh, so yeah, come and say hello. We're a friendly bunch. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me, and uh, hopefully, hopefully you can bring him some luck this weekend. Fingers crossed, Matt. And I uh, appreciate the time. It was good talking to you, mate. And keep on with the amazing uh, film reviews. I, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. So uh, that's going to be it for today. So honestly, it's it's getting a little tough uh, <laughs> to, to bring you new content because there's so much uh, with the Bengals that is repetitive. So many of the Bengals problems we keep seeing week in and week out. Uh, and that's, you know, not, not a very strong endorsement of, of the coaching that they're getting that a lot of these problems aren't changing. So um, if you want to hear more about some of the Bengals issues, feel free to, uh, <laughs> to go back and explore the archives, uh, both of the podcast and uh, on Cincy Jungle and some of my film rooms, because there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it's been the same. Uh, stick with me. You know, when this team gets better, we're going to have some really cool stuff for you. Um, and, and I, I will keep bringing it, keep breaking down that film and, 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 you know, bringing some, some fun stuff and, and, you know, giving you an inside eye of what's, uh, what's going on, breaking down these plays. Uh, I do appreciate you joining me, uh, and hoping, you know, hoping to get another win, uh, or excuse me, hoping to get a first win here. Uh, and uh, and do some good things, but uh, keep an eye out. You know, next week on the bye week, we will be looking at quarterbacks. We will be talking about uh, the NFL draft and the quarterback position. So come back for that. Um, and uh, you know, keep on coming back. I'm gonna I'm gonna be here. We keep losing. I keep breaking down exactly how we're losing. But uh, hopefully, we get to we get to breaking down why we're winning uh, at some point this season. Yeah, we coming forward with sours. You hear the crowd, we coming forward with sours.